They are. Oh, <laughs> some car just went by very fast up there. Um, so, hello everyone. It's Kay. Hey everyone, it's Craig. I'm back. He's back. It's only well in in the sequence that I've released stuff. You were on. Okay, actually, no. It's been like three episodes without you. Yeah, it's been, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, you were there for the twentieth episode. Our twenty second episode is releasing tomorrow, uh, December seventeenth, sixteenth. I don't know what day day it is anymore. But seventeenth. Yes, it's been a while since you've been in this studio, but I did see you in person. Yeah. Somewhat recently. She did. She did, folks. Wonderful. It was it was a bit of a um, what can you call a surprise drop in? You can call it a surprise drop in. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> that's I, uh, what it was. You know, I went back home to New York for when I say a hot minute, a literal hot minute, because I was there for probably forty eight hours. Yeah. So very You're brief. Barely there, and I was I savored every single moment that I could he came and visited me at work so like I had to like work and he was just like sitting in the back it's like balancing like, two different worlds oh yeah like my fun world and then like work um yeah so it's just us in the studio today which is nice because we're, this is a little bit of a like a, like a cozy episode I guess you could say um we are going to be ranking our top five favorite uh Christmas or holiday-ish uh movies um mm-hmm. and there's there's a lot of them out there so it wasn't an easy list to make but at the same time it was like super easy because like i just know these i'm gonna movies. be honest with you this actually might have been my hardest list to make because i think i've come to the realization i don't like christmas movies as much as i think i did well because a lot of them are like corny because they try yeah they force just random plots to deal with Christmas and I think a lot of my list it naturally falls in with Christmas where like it doesn't feel forced or like Christmas is like embedded within the story so it's it's Mm. a lot more organic rather than like all like the the Hallmark movies um where it's this girl who lives in the big city has a busy job goes back home to her like rural hometown and she meets her, as I say her ranch <laughs> this her, farmer her ranch who up. teaches her about <laughs> the spirit of Christmas and also there's an old man and he's Santa yeah always it's the can I say the hallmarkification of Christmas yeah it's just the hallmarkification of Christmas movies that when you think about Christmas movies now you think about those very boring plots and not like the true classics that I'm sure I want to know who writes those. Like, if they sit there and they're genuinely proud of their their work when they finish it, like they're done with the script (laughs) and they sit there and they take that deep breath. They're like, ah, they're like my like. No, I I know sixteen year olds who have written fanfic that should be more proud of their work than these probably thirty year olds writing these screenplays. So I agree. Um. I'm going to quickly mention a, a viewing experience I had because two nights ago I saw West Side Story in yes. theaters and Merry it was Christmas. fantastic. <laughs> Merry Christmas. It's not a Christmas movie, but it's not. It's not even close. Um, it's like takes place during the summer, I think. Um, <laughs> 
And the, the main thing I want to say is that Rachel Ziegler is a star. And we like, know. there are so few people who well, like- Well, we know. Well, I don't know well other, we knew, now the world we knew, knows. I don't know if the world knows. They're finding it out. They're finding it out when, you know, everyone in due time has to make their own way. But like, when you think of like a true star, like I think about Lady Gaga, I think of like Kelly Clarkson. Like these are women who were just- seemingly born to do yeah, what they do they just like ooze talent from their pores yeah and rachel just like falls into it so naturally like she is so magnetic on the screen she's just and in interviews she's so graceful and she's so wonderful um it sucks that her performance is being overshadowed by the fact that they employed a rapist um in the film but you know re recasting and reshooting would have they would have had to spend like another half of the budget that they already spent um and like people are just like oh they could have just reshot it i'm like at the point when everything came out like so much had already been done in post that it would have just been impossible to you'd have to basically remake a whole movie like he has a lot of screen time so it's also just a reminder that Steven Spielberg is like the best ever to ever do it, period. I mean, you you are talking to his long lost son. So <laughs> I really am. I will, I will have to agree with you. He'd still have the same um, initials. I would. Craig Spielberg. Um, <clears throat> my I legally notes. changed my last name. You can. Actually, I don't think you can. Okay. Um, my other notes are it's a movie musical that like looks good and sounds good because they hired like a competent crew who knew what they were doing and like actual musical theater actors in these roles who like would sound good and know how to like behave in a musical environment. Like you have Ariana DeBose, Mike Faced, Rena Moreno not reprising her role but they switched around some stuff in there to make her a role and like the way that she fits into the new story is it's so great I I'm not going to give any spoilers uh Josh Rivera and David Alvarez like these actors were so good and you look it up afterwards and you're like oh right they've all done musical theater they're not and I don't want to rag on our girl but Amy Adams, she's not a theater girl. She she's was not. great in Enchanted. I don't know what happened in Dear Evan Hansen. Um, but damn. What a, yeah. Uh, also, there's a character in the original story uh, named Anybody's. And they're kind of seen as like a tomboy who's trying to fit in with the Jets. And... Um, like it's it's a whole it's a whole thing in the original, but that character was made explicitly trans in this version, where he's like literally battling transphobia from both sides. Who are like, you're just a girl or whatever. And I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. So there's a lot of turfs complaining about this movie, which means it's probably good. Because anytime turfs complain about something, you're just like, all right. It's probably good then. I mean, 
kudos, just kudos to Steven Spielberg for even including that narrative in the film. I, I think it was because it was someone else who did like the actual screenplay. And I am totally blanking on his name right now. But he like rewrote the story and like the book kind of. Um, and he did a fantastic job. It all flowed very nicely. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. You all should go see it. Um, support our girl Rachel. Support Ariana. Support Steven. Support all the people. I was say, support my man Steven Spielberg. Like, I know people want to protest this film because of the the male lead, but like he is he's only one part of it. Like, so many people put like poured their hearts into this and aren't bad people. Yeah, and, and they, like it really takes away from the art and like the the hard work that you're saying that all these other people have put into it. And like, I can only imagine, obviously after all those allegations came out, they probably knew in the back of their mind what they were going to face going forward. I know. And that's tough because yeah. again, you're working so hard at something and one person can like basically ruin it for everyone else. Yeah. And then people were like, oh, well, why aren't they calling him out? And I'm like, they can't do that ahead of the film's release. They're basically going to just bomb it if that's yeah like that's like the worst pr nightmare like i think a lot of them handle it really well by like not really posting that much stuff with him in it like a lot of the stuff that rachel posted with was with her other co-stars like she barely posted any pictures with him um except like some from the premiere because obviously he was there um and it's just like there's only so much you can do without because then it's like a PR disaster. and Yeah. I would just like love to be on the fly on the wall like at that premiere with Rachel because like I could totally see her speaking her mind too and like just being like really blunt like listen like this is all for like the movie but like you and I we ain't friends buddy. Yeah. And it's yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, so our criteria for um this i didn't actually discuss this with craig but i assumed that he had the same criteria for what makes like a christmas holiday film yeah we usually do i mean so i wrote that it has to deal with christmas in some way whether being explicitly marketed as a christmas film or dealing with christmas themes or a significant portion of the film about five minutes or more with them addressing the holiday takes place during christmas or the holiday season like yeah if it snows that's not a christmas film yes yeah but my 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 criteria was obviously the same it all my movies i want to say are are explicit enough some of them are definitely a little more implicit but explicit enough okay i i trust your judgment so I'm probably not going to argue with you. Because also that's yes. not in the Christmas spirit to argue. And I'm so glad talking about Christmas spirit, we're doing this episode because you and I were on the phone yesterday and we were both just like, we're not in that holly jolly mood, which is so depressing because like Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. Just like the Christmas lights and the good mood and atmosphere and just like so much about it. And yeah, we I think... Not only do you and I need this episode, but anyone else who's going to listen, because maybe some other people are not feeling that spirit with just 
the unfortunate world we live in at this moment. We need a little Christmas. Yeah, especially like uh, my anxiety has been bad these past few days, like seeing all the rises in COVID cases in New York. I'm like, girl, I'm not leaving my house. I am leaving my house tonight, but (laughs) I will be wearing a mask and I'm getting my booster tomorrow. So hopefully we're okay. Um, You're like, I will do it for cinema and cinema only. Yeah, cinema. That's what we're calling what I'm seeing tonight. We are. Um, (laughs) uh, Craig, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Yeah, I will go first. Um, So my my number five is actually a movie Dave and I watched the other night together because I bought it on Blu-ray this year. I saw it at the store. I'm like, I need this. It's nostalgia. It's it's Christmas galore. It's very explicit. And my number five is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, so it's such a good movie. Is that, um, did it start out as a TV special? Because I know a lot of those did. I want to say yes, but again... I am not like the best person to ask that question because I don't know. So it I'm... says TV movie on IMDb. So okay, yes, because it's only forty-seven minutes. So I don't think I actually know that is technically long enough to be considered a feature, but it probably would not have been released in theaters because it wouldn't have been profitable. Yeah. So TV movie. <laughs> so it is a Bass Rankin film. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone who does not know the story of one Mr. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, one, one the, the one and only, um, he is ostracized by his reindeer society because he has a red nose. I mean, it is a little weird looking. It is. It also makes noise, which I, co- I totally forgot about. Yeah, the noise that always kind of bothered me as a kid. It freaked me out. <laughs> Maybe that's the po- which is kind of awful. Maybe that was kind of intentional. So like the audience, like children, were like joined in on those reindeer games and made fun of Rudolph. Or they no, thought. I think kids are supposed to empathize. Feel with bad him. for him. Yeah. Um, At least I did. Yeah. So it 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 just tells like a really fun story. It has great adventure and like literally for the time it came out, which was 1964 really great stop motion i love Um, that style me too so of course i had to get the like special edition blu-ray with all these like commentary features they were looking into like the making of it and they within the past few years made a rudolph the runner's reindeer 4d so it's basically like they restylized it like basically reshot it to mimic almost exactly the same as the original and it was they were interviewing the um animators who made the new one and how they're such big fans and it was a huge honor for them to do this project um and it's just like really cool to see like how much work truly goes into it and like how the precision and like the craft the dedication like all this stuff it was really unique to watch um it has some really great characters Obviously, we got our main man, Rudolph, who is judged by everyone. Now, we got to talk about Clarice for a second, his little girlfriend. His little girlfriend. Uh, his little girlfriend. 
uh, Dave said it best. He, he made a really good point. Um, she, she is like the one who rallied behind like body positivity. She like, she started it all because he thinks everyone hates him because his nose even her and he kind of is like, you should go away too. And she's like, I like you just the way you are. Famously, she thought he was cute. She did. And then he started to fly. And then we're like- He starts to fly because <laughs> he has a crush. Sparks fly. Ooh. I think Miranda Cosgrove was onto something. Um, and then also, who else did I want to talk about really briefly? Oh, Hermie, of course. Yeah, of course. Icon. Gay he representation. Be, literally just wanted to be a dentist. Um, no, I literally leaned into Dave while we were watching it. I'm like, this is this is queer subtext, this whole film. Rudolph I mean, and Hermie. Of course, there's going to be, you, you can have those interpretations. Always. But like, I would say that he is queer. In, yeah, in queer, queer so many ways, where Rudolph is probably less explicitly so, and he's just kind of seen as just ostracized for other reasons. Yeah, he's just he's the other. He really is, and honestly, again, it's such like a great holiday film. It's for like anyone of all ages. Just the visuals are so fun, and like again, if you appreciate stop motion like you and I do people out there you'll love it that much more because of the, the craft itself and again like this was like revolutionary for this time which is why it has to be in my top five and it it's just like a wholesome tale and Rudolph spoiler alerts ahead if you didn't already know this Rudolph saves the day oh oh he do oh he, he saves do. the girls <laughs> He saved he saved them all. So Rudolph we, saves the girls. <laughs> he saved everyone. So he's kind of a like Jesus. He saved us Re all. Reincarnated. <laughs> I mean, and they also were like, Jesus, you're I mean, crazy. We don't yeah, like you. I mean, I was gonna say reindeer, the reindeer. Rudolph is a sacrificial figure. Mm. He really is. I feel like everyone's seen. Rudolph. But that's my that might just be I don't know. Maybe some people haven't seen it. Um, I don't think everyone has. A lot of people have, but also we have to take into account those are generally people. I mean, obviously people who don't even celebrate Christmas who have probably seen it as well, but not most, not all. But if we're together anything from my five, it's as you said, that's Rudolph is Jesus. Mm. Um, what's I gonna say? Oh, I think it's also interesting that Rudolph is like the most famous reindeer, but he's not, he's not canon, you know? When you read mm -hmm. like Twas the Night Before Christmas, there's no Rudolph. It's just the eight mm -hmm. other reindeer. Um, yeah. Rudolph was literally just invented as a new story in like the Christmas tale. So like, I remember being young and like seeing Christmas decorations and seeing Santa with his sleigh and seeing eight reindeer and i was like where where's Rudolph? <laughs> you're like you're doing the math you're like something is off i'm like, like there should the be one nose? with the red nose at the front um at the front and like it's there's such like it, there's two different types of christmas marketing that like include rudolph but like he might be trademarked so maybe they can't include him on some stuff unless they get permission but like because um, even when rudolph is i hope not because they're like his maybe his you know, like his nose isn't always 
His nose isn't always uh, red. Yeah, um, I will not stand for the Rudolph erasure. I mean, it makes sense. He's not canon. Um, he will be. True. What's your top? Uh, what's your top five? What's your number five? Um, my number five is in a similar vein because it's another uh, Rankin Bass uh, film, and that is The Year Without a Santa Claus from okay. 1974. I. Yes. I was like, I need to have at least one of these like felt looking stop motion animation uh, films on my list because they're they're what I remember watching, I think, the most as a kid. Like we had mm-hmm. a special box full of Christmas VHSs that we would watch every single year. We just kind of slowly make our way through that box. Um, and they only came out around Christmas. That's when the box was taken down. Um, so yeah, pretty much any, any Rankin Bass production could have been in that slot, but, and I think you get Mickey Rooney as Santa Claus in a few of these films, but you get Mickey Rooney as Santa Claus. And like, that was Santa Claus's voice for me growing up. So when he passed, I was like, oh my God, Santa Claus is dead. Santa is dead. (laughs) Oh my God, we killed him. I mean, no one killed Mickey Rooney. Yeah. No one killed him um, <laughs> to like make sure <laughs> he wasn't murdered. Um, the most iconic part of this film, and I think everyone knows it, especially those of us who are on TikTok, is the Snow Miser and the Heat Miser. The Snow Miser and the Heat Miser are brothers. They don't get along. The Snow Miser, he always wants it to be cold at Christmas time and have it snow. Heat Miser wants it hot and tropical. Obviously, the Snow Miser has been winning, in at least in the Northern Hemisphere, for all of eternity. Um, but the Heat Miser taking over causes, like, Christmas to, like, be canceled, which is exactly what the liberals want. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the agenda. The Heat Miser, that's just, that's just a... That is just a modern-day representation of climate change and the liberal agenda. Yeah. Um, anyway, ahead of its time. <laughs> that song that they sing out sold like in um, what's the other one? Santa Claus is coming to town. You get one uh, the one foot in front of the other song, and that one's mm-hmm. fun because like it's true. Really? When you put one foot in front of the other, you walk. That's yeah. like the basics, girl. Um, <laughs> but but you know, cute next to gorgeous. Gorgeous is gonna devour cute. Exactly. And their songs are gorgeous. Um, You get, they're like the same songs, slightly different, slightly different words, but they each have like these tiny little like minion versions of themselves in the songs. Mm -hmm. And I I used to think those were so funny and creepy. Um, I just, I just love it. It's so charming. I wish the style of animation were still a thing. Now they like, like the 4D Rudolph thing, like they, animate it to look like stop motion but i'm like girl just get some clay get some felt get some whatever the fuck you need to do and make it do your diy go to joanne go to michael's yeah what you need like i you get a little bit of that stuff with like leica pictures with like Coraline and all that stuff and like i love that style of animation but there's like when like their hair is like soft it gives me very much muppets and i think i don't know it it feels like i could touch it um and i really enjoy that so 
Yeah. That's my number five. Love that. I love it. Love that for us. I love that we both chose Rankin Bass films for I, our number I, five. Ooh, look at us, girl. <laughs> Who would have thought? Me. <laughs> I did too. I did too. <laughs> What's your number four? Okay, my number four, um, I think a lot of people will be surprised that it wasn't higher on my list. Okay. Um, when I was younger, for sure, I think as I've grown older, this movie um, doesn't hit the same. And my number four is Home Alone. My four is also Home Alone. Girl! <laughs> I, hate like I hate us. I hate us. So, surprisingly, again, coming from, like, when I was younger, like, this was my favorite Christmas movie of all time. Mm. When I saw the Rotten Tomato score, I was pretty shocked. It only has a 66%. Oh, that needs to be higher. It does need to be higher. However, I understand its rating where it's in. I think it needs to be higher, but it definitely doesn't deserve to be, like, an 80 or 90 something. I would give it, like... A 78. I would give it like an 80. Um, I think that's solid. So obviously, if anyone does not know this film, this is another one where it's like, no matter who you are, you've seen this film. That or you know, like the poster of him with the, the yes, kind of you, the you, screen. Or you face. know, you know that you know the bits. You know the bits. Yeah, you know the bits. Involved. Um, so eight-year-old Kevin McAllister makes the most of the situation after his family unwittingly leaves him behind when they go on Christmas vacation. But when a pair of uh, bungling burglars set their sights on Kevin's house, the fucky kid stands ready to defend his territory. Um, We don't use the word bungling enough anymore. We don't. That's why I like tripped up on the word. I was like, huh? What? Bring it back to the culture. Bring it back. (laughs) Bring it back to the canon. We need it back in our vernacular. Um, What can I say? It has Macaulay Culkin. As mm-hmm. a little kid, he was like a kid icon. Mm-hmm. It has her queen, Catherine O'Hara, in there, mm-hmm. a star. She's so young in that film. I know. She's been playing moms forever. A very long time. And this film isn't that old. It's from 1990. I mean, and that is 30-some years old. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. I feel like she just looks, obviously, you know, she's aged a, a bit. She's getting older. Yeah. So... She just looks so much younger. I mean, 30 years does make a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, What I do not like about the movie, I've come to realize, is what we talked about earlier when introducing the episode, that, like, whimsical, like, childlike sequencing that they sometimes do in this film, which I think makes it fun. Like, I can see any, like, parent watching a scene thinking it's hilarious and me just standing there like, so the scene I'm thinking of in particular, which is a, supposed to be an iconic scene, but it's one that I'm just like, okay, like yawn. When they get out of bed and they realize that they're running late because the alarm clock stop and they like yell at each other and it does like a fast motion and everyone's like running around. Again, like so many like adults or like boomers would sit there and probably be laughing their head off. And I'm just like, okay, like I guess they're trying to be cute, but it's not my favorite sequencing. That's fun, but that's like, and that's like very '90s. Like that's because we've seen it down, exactly. done a million times. But like that was back when it was still fresh. You know yes. what I mean? No, for sure. Um, 
But again, it is a great movie. It's in my top five for a reason. It has a lot of good um, sentiment to it. Um, there's so many great lines from it too. I quote it like all the time when he's like, Buzz, your girlfriend, woof. That <laughs> one. We also have Kevin, you're what the French call les incompetents. <laughs> I love that musical. <laughs> She's such a bitch. They're all oh, so mean to him. Literally, and like the fact that like everyone like defends everyone else, and they all like gang up on him. Even the uncle, what does his uncle call him? It's so mean. I don't know. They're all fucking mean to him. It's so, like, like the biggest insult, and he does it in front of like a whole family. And I like, I like, we were watching it the other day, only some of it. Um, and I was just like, how did the uncle get away with his nonsense? He literally just called out Kevin in front of his whole family. I'm like. If he calls him the kid. F slur. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, imagine. Like, imagine like your kid being like chastised by like someone else that isn't you. I'd be like, who are you? Ew. They're, yeah, but like they're also mean, which is why it's like it's such an interesting turn. Like when his family first isn't there first of all he thinks they disappeared or he made them disappear yes. and he's overjoyed. It's only when he starts to get a little scared of the basement and uh, Harry and Marv that he's like, okay, this actually kind of sucks. A threat. Yeah. And I, I miss the protection of having my family there. Honestly, at the end of the day, he shouldn't have saved his home from the burglars. His family fucking deserved to be robbed because they're all god-awful people. I made a, a goddamn note that I think if Kevin had just joined the Wet Bandits... Like, that would have been, that'd be such an interesting movie. Like, in, like, the third one, oh, my God, the bandits are here again. Kevin's just like, I've come to you guys with a plan. Like, my family obviously hates me because they've left me for the third time now. This is, like, pretending that whatever that other third Home Alone doesn't exist. It doesn't even have Macaulay Culkin in it. Anyway, he is like, my family obviously doesn't care about me. Obviously, I'm very good at rigging stuff to like get what i want if we work together we can clean up town like new york we can clean up chicago la the world um because kevin McAllister is like a little evil mastermind i he needs to be on like the fbi watch list he is a danger to himself and others um a lot of the tricks that he sets up for Harry and Marv, like, are... Are just, sadistic. They're saw traps. He's literally they like, literally, you want to play a game? <laughs> <laughs> that movie is basically, like, spin off to the Saw film. It's like Christmas too Saw. Many of them. <laughs> yeah, because literally some of them are so sadistic. And it's so funny because, like, you know, growing up and, like, watching my family, like, it's all fun and games and we, like, normalize it. But, like... I understand the sense of protection of like you're supposed to do whatever it takes to protect yourself from an intruder, but he goes to the lengths where he's like torturing them. Yeah, and about that, he's like, oh, it's all about I'm just protecting my house. He purposely leaves like the basement door unlocked just so I think it's Marv can walk in and like get an iron to the face. Yeah. Like that's not protecting your house. That's you're you want to harm sadistic someone. Little, you're a sadistic little bitch and he's, you're having a little too much he's fun. He's a little fucker. 
Um, love um, him. His family sucks. Was, I understand. If, if he was like evaluated and diagnosed nowadays, I'm really curious to see what it'd be. There, there's something. Yeah, for sure. Um, the th- the part I think of all the time, and it to this day, like every time I watch that scene, it makes me want to die. Is when he puts the nail on the mm. stairway. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Only a sick, twisted, conniving little fucker bitch would do that. <laughs> um, which I'm gonna call it. In the second one. He full on throws bricks at them from like yes. three or four stories up. That would have <laughs> killed them. They like they managed to like Marv gets hit with like three bricks on the head. He doesn't end up with a concussion. I'm like he his brains would be splattered on the pavement from the from the first movie alone. The the wet bandits would suffer from brain damage. No, so like I don't even know how I don't even know how they made it to film number two. They should have been just dead. Like, so much mental, first of all, torture, and then physical torture. Like, they would have gotten into fights in the jail and died before they were able to escape. Anyway. Honestly, if if it wasn't a kid film, I'd be satisfied if they killed Kevin in the end. It's the cycle of violence, though, because, like, they inflicted onto Kevin, now Kevin's inflicting onto them, but a lot of it's coming also from like Kevin has been left alone. Like CBS should fully investigate the McAllisters after twice they leave him behind. Like at like that's just your family saying we don't care about you, and they have too yeah. many kids to take care of anyway. Um, I love that we get a little a little baby Kieran Culkin in this film as yes. uh his cousin fuller the fuller easy on the pepsi and then you just see him do that little smile so cute so and then you see him on succession you're like oh you little slime puppy um also this is uh has a a, a fantastic john williams score that like really mm. just elevates it to the next level because i think without that yeah. score it wouldn't be as good same thing with like any other property that john williams has ever touched but like you can totally see why he and christopher columbus were both chosen for the harry potter films because i was like trying to track some of that stuff throughout the last time i watched it like how does this compare with harry potter and the sorcerer's stone slash chamber of secrets and like there's a lot of elements there like if you compare harry to kevin there's like they frame them very similar ways and it's it was nice it was nice to reflect on that. Yes. Um, wow, I can't believe we have the same number four, but I can't believe it. I, I totally can't. I can't believe it because this is something we do. Okay, going on to number three. This is a film um, that has been spoken about uh, multiple times, actually, on the pod. Oh, and I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a good movie. It's, uh, it's, it's classic. We talked about it in our horror uh, film episode with Michael and I was so happy someone else knew what this film was. So my number three is Better Watch Out Mm -hmm. from 2016. Um, Rightfully so, underrated gem, it has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 89%. And it so deserves it. Yeah, it's so 
again, I think it's so undermined as a film and people go into it. And I think it is very campy for what it is, but in like a subtle way, but people take that movie not too seriously. Mm-hmm. And so they go in with maybe the wrong expectations, but it is so, I, I'm obsessed with it. So basically what the synopsis is, is on a quiet suburban street tucked within a safe neighborhood, a babysitter must defend a 12-year-old boy from strangers breaking into the house, only to discover that this is far from a normal home invasion. Again, what's so great about it is it's like satire, it's like dark comedy horror, so it's not like pure horror. And I also really like the film because it's a lot of like, actors that aren't really well known it's like when i first saw this like i didn't know anyone the actor i think his name is levi miller if i'm saying it right if not so sorry too bad so sad um he's an australian actor he does such a great job with his role Mm. it makes the movie that just that more enticing and it it's a movie that makes you feel all the emotions like there's so much frustration and so much like anger but like, I don't know how to describe, like, again, it's just like that uh, spectrum of emotion. And visually, it's such a fun movie. It's basically like, this film is Home Alone, but like, gory and quirky. Like, really laying on the horror. Yeah, and just like, They could have done Home Alone as a horror film. They could but they, they didn't because um I don't know it would have been it would have been different um obviously if they had done different things it would have been different I love when I say things <laughs> like that <laughs> and what makes the film so fun too I love I think it like turns the whole idea of horror on its head when it surrounds the plot premise with Christmas because mm-hmm. again it's taking two like ideas that are tend to be familiarized as polar opposites and mashing them together to make something so so uncanny and so uncomfortable because like you associate that season with cheer and gifts and holly jolly lights and celebration and all that good stuff and there's just like blood and torture and traps in this film um and it's a very fun ride so again since we talked about it more than once highly recommend for people to watch Maybe this will be the year I finally watch it. I say that only you should, last year you didn't I mean, watch it and I didn't. But Blonde Girl once said, "Tis the damn season," and I think that that time is now. Mm, I mean, it's on my watch list, so you better watch out. <laughs> watch list, you better watch out. Uh, anyway, what's your number three? My number three is like, I love that you chose like a horror film. I chose like one of the most. Um, not cheery, but like just earnest um, Christmas films of like the last two decades, um, which is Elf, which came out in 2003. Um, Fun fact about this movie is that it's one of the first uh, movies I remember seeing in theaters. Um, I remember exactly where I was, like relative to everyone else in theater. I know who I went with. And keep in mind, I was like five, I think, when it came out. which is pretty young. And yeah, part of like something about this film was like it was an instant classic. Like instantly it became one of like the most revered Christmas films to ever exist, which is so interesting. Um, I mean it's it's just good. 
you have yeah. a bunch of people working on it who are pouring so much love into it. Like they're not like, obviously you make a movie to be profitable, but like there was so much heart and effort put into this, like more than your, I feel like a lot of the Christmas movies that come out today don't have that. And this one just does it. Like I said before, it's just so earnest in what it is. Um, and John Favreau, who I think he wrote and directed it, um, he really knew what he wanted to do and how to do it. Um, a lot of his work is about fathers and sons. Like when you look at the Iron Man movies or if you look at The Mandalorian, it's like he he loves those dynamics. And that's also pretty much like the main thing that drives the plot of Elf is there's this man who was raised as an elf separate from his father who lives and works in New York City who's on the naughty list and he goes to travel to like save him and to meet him and like that's like that premise is just like so heartwarming um uh this movie also came out a year after John Favreau's own father had passed away and his son was born in 2000 so like there's a lot going on emotionally behind the scenes yeah um and it was in production for a pretty long time i watched like that the making of or the movies that made us special on it um they're kind of corny but it you get a lot of good interviews and facts um yeah and it was like i remember just like crying during the whole thing just like this is the greatest christmas movie ever obviously it's not i would have chosen as my number one but it's up there um number three to be exact uh uh this this it's been like quoted to death but that's because it is so insanely quotable like you get tired of like seeing all like the gifts on facebook of like just whatever quotes they are but like when you or watch the, the cringy clothing yeah. that people wear. Oh. Yeah. But when you watch it in the movie, it's like, oh, this rocks. It's just like other people ruin it by killing it. Um, yeah. It's also Zoe Deschanel is in this. And I, it doesn't even seem like Zoe Deschanel. Like she's. I was about to say, we get a blonde Zoe Deschanel. Yeah. She's like my age in this movie. She's like fully 22 or 23. Um, yeah. She's. Young. she's there's a bit of a strange age gap, but like it almost works the opposite where like he had like Will Ferrell's character, Buddy, has like the maturity level of like an eight year old and she has the maturity level of like a 20 something year old woman. So it's like almost predatory in the opposite way. And yes. like I'm not doing a whole wokeness thing. I'm not trying to cancel Elf. I'm just saying it's a little weird. And if it had been the opposite way, I probably would have found it creepier as a kid. But for sure, I like was just like, oh, they're both like adults, I guess. So it's fine. Um, I think the best part of that movie is her character and like how she is kind of abrasive. But then she has this like soft side of her that you learn and then like obviously you learn that she can sing and she sings to save the day i just saw her mm-hmm, you did last week at the ryman for the she and him holiday christmas show mm-hmm. so good by the way so did she sing so baby it's cold outside 
Of course she did. Oh, that's wonderful. I love, so, I love Zoe Deschanel. So funny. So, like, when she introduced the song, she's like, yeah, so this song's a little bit older. It's, like, explaining about how, like, it's canonized and everything. She's like, but, like, honestly, like, it's a terrible song. She's like, it's a very predatory. We all know this at this point, though. Yeah, so she's like, so I'm going to make it more appropriate. I'm going to reverse the roles and I am going to be the predator. <laughs> she's so funny. It's actually kind of a Shi'io move when you're the predatory one. And yes, it's a win for it feminism. Really um, yeah, always. Uh, a talk, speaking of Shi'io's, um, Amy Sedaris is in this movie and she rules. I love Amy Sedaris. I feel like I don't talk about her enough. Um, but I, I absolutely adore her when she showed up in the Mandalorian. I, I, I hooted and hollered. I really did. I think she's, she's wonderful. Um, my last note on this is that we put, when we put up the Christmas tree every year, we watch this movie in the background. So I will always associate it with like, being with my family and stuff so that's very sweet it's very much like if i were to watch this movie alone it would be weird like i need to watch it with at least one member of my family so that's my number three elf and i i love it i don't care that people make it cringe i don't care it's good um so my number two this is a very difficult decision because and in, in another universe, it would be my number one. Mm-hmm. But I had to like really hone in on the fact of like the most Christmas of Christmas had to be number one. So this had to take the placeholder of number two. I'm so sorry, Joe Dante. Sweetie, I'm so sorry because you know how much I love you and you know how much I am a slut for this film. And my number two is Gremlins from 1984. I I knew when you said it's the like less Christmassy one. I'm like, okay, so it's Gremlins, even yeah, though that's like so part of your personality. Gremlins is part of my personality. Um, for those who don't know the plot, when Billy Peltzer is given a strange but adorable pet named Gizmo for Christmas, he inadvertently breaks the three important rules of caring for a Mogwai and unleashes a horde of mischievous Gremlins on a small town. Kind of a I, horror film. Yeah, it's a um, baby's first horror it's film. A, it's a comedic horror family. It's it's a lot of genres. It's really weird. Um, yeah, as a child, I was petrified of this film. Like it, hysterically. I, because I thought it was like a straight up kids movie, so we like rented it from Blockbuster. All of a sudden, these cute little guys are turning into you know. It's marketed as a family film. Yeah, they trick you. It's trickery. It's sorcery. <laughs> Joe Dante, sicko. He said, "Fuck them kids." And but it's funny because, like, Good it, for him. it feel like it was like a move. It was definitely one of my like first forays and into horror. Like, besides, I'm gonna say Spider Man Two is like kind of also horror ish. Um, I I spoke about it in our Spider Man episode, so you'll you'll see what I mean if you listen to it which you probably won't give, but... it, give a listen to the two and a half hour <laughs> won't happen again won't happen again <laughs> um but yeah we're like i i needed to see how it ended i needed to see if gizmo was gonna save the girls if he was gonna stay a girl 
I don't know why I keep on saying the girls, but I'm going to roll with it. Um, you well, know, you so know, I had to watch. The second film did give us a girl gremlin. She's like, oh, right. She's interesting. She's an icon. Anyway, I don't remember that so film as well, but. Talking about the first film, I love the second one. I don't talk about that one enough. I think I like the second one you, more than the first. You do talk about it a lot, though. It's such a fun one. It really, ugh, I could watch these movies every single day. I never get sick of them. Anyways, yeah, I was petrified as a child of this movie. It would make me cry hysterically. And other people, like my cousins and my sister, would want to watch it all the time. And I'd say no. And they'd watch it anyway. And I'd have, like, mental breakdowns about it. I'd also have a lot of nightmares about gremlins. They scared me. Um, the scene when Billy's mom, I think, gets attacked by the gremlin that's hiding in the Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. That lives with me. And I feel like we've so spoken scared. about that specific moment before on this pod too, because it's it, it is a core memory. It's got to be. It, that, yeah, <laughs> literally the, movie, the Pixar movie Inside Out, when the core memory is those yeah. like golden balls. <laughs> my golden ball, my core memory is that gremlin popping out of the Christmas tree. It's, that's like the pop. main memory? Yeah. Because there were like, like a few core, core memories horrifying you do have um, like a, a gremlin uh island though or like campy horror island is probably more what it actually is if we're like talking about if we're doing the inside out analogy which we are apparently um yes you have all your islands um one of yours is definitely like campy horror and i would say gremlins kind of falls with them then you got like your steven spielberg island yeah. um taylor swift island i have straight up horror island just straight up horror <laughs> you have like two different islands devoted to horror dedicated just, to horror i feel like that's maybe a red flag no it's not it's fine um just a little bit that's okay. we can do this inside out thing at a separate time i was just i was having fun with the bit <laughs> that was fun um for you i'm not gonna go fully into well we could do an episode you would have a, a, just a, a, a soul dedicated mitski island I think it would just be like Sad Girl Island, where it's like her. No, it would be Misky Island. She she stands alone. Wow, you I'm decided. Read you. <laughs> um, no, but again, such a fun film. How can we not like? How can we not forget the iconic Phoebe Cates monologue where she talks about her father getting killed on Christmas? Um, I saw a tweet. Yes, I did because letter, the insane letterbox account tweeted it. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, it was a screen cap of Phoebe, and it said, "Whoever decided to put this unnecessarily unhinged scene in Gremlins is a fucking lunatic." And <laughs> like they went crazy with that monologue. <laughs> I I need to do my own research. I need to, I need like the 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 inside scoop from the industry. I need someone to get me connected to Joe Joe Dante so I can talk to him personally and be like. So, what was going on, Joseph? <laughs> but yeah, so I basically, I quote, literally, I quote tweeted it and I said, I will not rest until she is given an Oscar for this performance because I really deserved one. It she was, needs like an honorary it, award for that. She does for that. Like, I can only imagine the, the amount of trauma she went through. They probably made her like film that one scene like over and over again until she cried. I want to imagine that she got it in one take and they were like, holy shit (laughs) that was incredible this bitch is going through something how did she we wasted it (laughs) yeah um also like zach galligan 
yeah, well, not him now, no offense. Zach, sorry, sweetie, you did not age well, but Billy Peltzer in this film in the 80s, he was so cute. I don't yeah, know if I, I don't know. I don't know if I was too young to be gay yet and know my gayness. You were too young to choose to be gay. <laughs> I was I was too young for that choice. But like <laughs> growing up and like looking back at it, I'm just like, yeah, way to go, Billy. By the way, guys, uh, being gay is not a choice. You watch Gremlins as a child and you're just, that's just the way that you are <laughs> Your turn. <now. laughs> Your turn. <laughs> that's great. That's why it's my favorite. And then also just like, side point because everyone knows how obsessed I am with this film so bands for Halloween did a horror collaboration and they released Kremlin merch mm-hmm. so of course I had to order myself a pair of custom bands where I made my own custom Gremlin bands and they are being shipped as we speak so I will get them just in time for the holiday it's a time to be alive that's exciting i cannot wait to see those that's like your perfect pair of shoes literally it's my, <laughs> it, it is my brand and i cannot wait to wear the fuck out of them like everywhere and like be like hey guys look at my shoes like to like literally random sh- trainers on the street walking their dog who couldn't care less i need muppet sneakers i want those the kermit, kermit adidas. nike ones oh, oh they're nike. adidas oh and i think you're right oh oh <laughs> <laughs> a, a classic switch up um no, yeah they were the no, right. because it was yeah. the the one guy whose name is on all of them it's like his shoe but it's always like the green and so it was like a special kermit green that they were doing and it was like with recycled materials because it was like about being green and like you know because kermit's green <laughs> i love green characters like yeah Grogu. Just comfort characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got we got Gremlins comfort characters. Yeah. I don't know. I they're think they're just misunderstood. Me. I think they're misunderstood. I mean, it's about how bad when bad things happen to you, it can turn you into a monster where you can overcome it and stay civil and cute like Gizmo. I also love that they call Guillermo on what we do in the shadows Gizmo sometimes Gizmo. I think that's so cute I think Gizmo's just such a cute name it is um so, so what is your number two yes my number two is a movie that I find myself having to defend every single goddamn Christmas time and I will continue to defend it I'm a little scared don't well actually I don't know your okay. opinions on it um and that is love actually from 2003 oh no the face you made oh no <laughs> listen listen i don't want to hear shit i don't want to no, hear listen. shit it is canon i will give that to that film and that's the only positive opinion i have on that film Go it's on. not everyone's cup of tea apparently it's not craig's cup of tea whatever <laughs> i like coffee okay. better anyway ha 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 that was a funny joke um <laughs> I You're like laugh at my joke. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha funny. Um, I love this movie so much. It came out the same year as Elf, which is interesting because like they're pretty different. I mean, this one's Very definitely different. more mature. Um, because it's, it's romantic. Yeah, it's like some of the storylines are more romantic. Some of them are more family-ish. Um, but yeah, there is like a whole storyline that revolves around two 
like porn stars. So, you know, and they, they perform. So it's, it's not for children. Um, one of my favorite types of movies other than like movies on a train, um, is, uh, the <laughs> train movies are great. That's not, it's not for the this podcast. The way you said that dog so lightly and just like because like, I've like, had this conversation. Because <laughs> I've had that conversation with a bunch of people at this point, so we'll, we're gonna have to do a train episode. You'll anyway. But the other type of movie that I really like is when it's like a bunch of different storylines that all intersect at the end. Like that's always a fun little a fun little romp, you know, like Valentine's Day. Um, like they they're not always good, but they're always like kind of sweet and like saccharine, um, synonym. <laughs> so this one is is very sweet. Um, I read some trivia on IMDb because I have a pro account now. Not that trivia is not available to non-paying members, it is. But um, so those of you who have seen the movie, and this happens at the beginning, so it's not like a spoiler, is um. The idea of Mark's surprise of the band singing All You Need Is Love at Peter and Juliet's wedding uh, came from Jim Henson's funeral, which writer and director Richard Curtis attended, where all the puppeteers brought their Muppets and sang a song. Um, Richard Curtis also just like really loves the Beatles. I think he did the screenplay for yesterday. Um, Mm -hmm. But so reading that made me cry, of course. But I just think that's so sweet. It's like a little nod to to Jim and yeah, like and turning a moment from there. like yeah a moment from like a funeral into something at a wedding he also did um four weddings and a funeral like he's very uh he knows the whole duality of like love and death and all that stuff like I I think Richard Curtis is highly underrated as a modern screenwriter like he's he's penned some really influential um films out there anyway i think a lot of them are just very british so maybe that's why he's not as well known in america i don't know anyway another bit of trivia that uh i feel like some people probably know is that kira knightley who's in this film and she plays juliet who's a young woman who gets married um is only five years older than thomas brody sangster who plays a child in like middle school who has a crush on a little girl in his class they are five years apart and he plays a middle schooler and she plays a woman getting married who has like adult relationships that is insane to me like maybe she shouldn't have been cast because she was like 18 like she was very young and he Thomas Brody Sangster just looks super young, but he was like 13. Um, he just always has like, has had this baby face. But, oh, isn't that just disturbing? Five years difference. Yeah, it's a little mm. unsettling. That's strange. Um, I can't decide on which storyline is my favorite. I enjoy all of them. Um, I also want to go through some of the people in the cast because it's stacked like I don't know if you remember like even I kind of forgot at who all is in this film we got I, I, I remember I remember Kira being Kira in the, in the, that's about it they're all of me 
You know how she says it like yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, he looked beautiful. Oh, and Hugh Grant. I remember Hugh Grant was in it. Hugh Grant, because he plays the Prime Minister. Um, yeah. Colin Firth is in it. Liam Neeson. Yeah. Emma Thompson. Martin Freeman. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Uh, Andrew Lincoln. Kira. Hugh Grant. Uh, Laura Linney, who's like, I think the only American <laughs> in the entire thing. Um, Alan Rickman. And Thomas Burry Sangster. And plus more than that. But like, damn that's like a bunch of a-listers that were all in the same movie and like this is when a lot of them were still like booking like big roles like not all of them were up and comers like 2003 alan rickman had already done die hard like i don't know um but like damn what a cast that's insane i love a big ensemble cast like that too um there's like the documentary like footage of all the families and loved ones reconnecting at the airport in the beginning and also at the end um with the song god only knows what i'd be without you by the beach boys playing and i sob like a baby every time because there was like kind of like a 9-11 thing going on like in the background of a lot of not like 9-11 was happening in the background it takes place in London but like the prime minister has this whole speech and he's talking about like how all the the phone calls that were like going out on 9-11 were like singing messages of love and then he ends that speech with the famous line where they get the, the title from um if you look for it I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around, which then <laughs> goes into the whole song that Bill Nighy is like his character re-recording where the song originally is love is all around. This is a real song, by the way, um, but they're changing the lyrics to Christmas is all around because Christmas time is synonymous with love. And like, that's mental. That is so good. They got the the mind of a master. I get the mind of a what's it called? Mind of a I don't know. I'm so creative like that. Um, but anyway, that has me weeping. <laughs> oh, I took a. I took. If a we learn anything from this episode, <laughs> most Christmas films make K weep. I I I'm just I just cry easily. I think. <laughs> um, I was on vacation in like Virginia two ish years ago, and. I couldn't stop singing the part right at the beginning of the film where Bill Nighy's uh, recording and he goes, I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Like the way that he says toes is so funny. And I could not stop doing it. Like whenever anyone mentioned fingers or toes, I was like, you know where I feel it? And they're like, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. And I just, I'd sing that. Um, and it became a bit, it became a really good bit that everyone enjoyed just kidding my family hated me for it i enjoyed it every time (laughs) and so that's why to this day that's why my number two is love actually i think it's a great movie i don't care i don't care what anyone thinks i I look back at my letterbox i didn't hate it as much as i thought i did okay so love actually is all around yeah yeah i gave it a three and a half (laughs) that's 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 fair good no that's good um i've only seen it once though to be fair i I understand why people love it, love it, but again, I gave it a three and a half for a reason. It was good. It was fun. 
something I probably won't watch over and over again. I think I need to buy it on Blu-ray because I need to own it. I really do. Because I want to watch it, but like I can't, it's not for free on anything right now. And I'm like, this is unacceptable. So I might, I might, I might buy it. You should. And going into my number one. Okay. And I had to really get into a holiday spirit with this one. And I do love this movie. I've loved this movie since I was a kid. So that's kind of what I did was I faced this also, like, I guess my scoring on, like, nostalgia level and how much I loved it when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Besides the Gremlins, because I had a weird fascination with it, even though I was horrified by it. So I guess that kind of counts. Mm-hmm. So my number one is the, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. From the, 2000. The, okay, the Ron Howard version. Yes, I was about to say, directed by Ron Howard, icon, legend, uh, with Jim Carrey. Uh, it has, a, again, this is a stacked cast. I'm not going to really go through it, but. Um, what you I need to know is that it's it's a Christine Baranski vehicle. Yes, it, it, it is a Christine Baranski vehicle. I mean, Martha May Huvier is the biggest MILF in the entire she world. She was serving who cunt, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I could I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, she is the hottest bitch in the fucking world when it comes to that film. She knew exactly what she was doing. She was pulling all the strings. She was playing. She was playing her cards right. You know who she was she- doing it for? Do you know who she was doing it for? No, not just not just the Grinch. Other the girls. girls. She was gays. doing it for the girls. Okay, and the gays, but. um i mean she had both the mayor who like you know he had money he had status he had all these things going for him oh he had erectile dysfunction yeah and also he was he was messy and gross keep on trying to add who to stuff to make it a pun yeah (laughs) he was he was very um he was the sugar daddy but then Mm -hmm. you have the grinch who is more emotionally withdrawn a little mysterious a little bit of a bad boy he also he he gives more of that like edgy sexy vibes okay they got her really riled up it was always the grinch who like got her motor running if you know what i mean but i feel like she didn't deserve him because she was ashamed of that yeah, and I feel like that's sure. that's definitely the the message we're supposed to come out. Yeah, of but with. she does come around in the end. She does come around. She learns her lesson. Also, can we talk about the fact that I always forget Molly Shannon is in this movie, and she kills it. I love Molly Shannon. Oh yes, she, she kills everything she touches. Um, but I love this movie so much because sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what are you about to say that's making you already laugh? No. <laughs> Dave just texted me. Oh, God. I can't even get my point across. And he says, why is your number one not the princess witch? <laughs> he said, are you drunk? I'm sick to my stomach. I'm sleeping next to a stranger. <laughs> Going back to the Grinch. Uh, I love this movie so much because it is pure comedic genius for all ages. Like, it just let Jim Carrey go crazy. Yeah, as kids, you eat it up. But even as an adult, there's so much, like, embedded humor into it that makes it so charming and so funny and so watchable. Um, And I think I love this movie so much, too. This is a 
a hot take. I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this right now. I'm not the biggest Jim Carrey fan. I think that's fair. He is a little bit much like famously he would go method and like freak out. Not my niche. Like he's like one step below Jared Leto, honestly. Yeah, they're they're uh, almost one and the same, honestly. But again, this is a film where I think he did such a great job and I loved him in it. It has so much heart. Um, it tells such a great story. It's so fun. And it really got the rating it did not deserve. It should have been higher on Rotten Tomatoes. It only got a 49%. Disgusting. Yeah, it was, it was largely panned by critics. Yeah horrible i don't know what they were thinking i i understand that from like a critical standpoint but like it's meant for families and i think it does its job i my brother loved this movie and i remember the the vhs tape had green on the outside um so it like kind of stood out from the rest of our vhs's um and i think that one we had out actually all year that was one of the ones that was in the like wasn't in the Christmas yeah. box. It was a no, that was a year did, round girly. Like it deserved the display. Um, yes. I would probably yeah. I had Grinch onesie pajamas when I was a little kid. I had Grinch pajamas when I got a little bit older too. Like I just always loved the Grinch. I always was obsessed with the movie and the story. Obviously the Dr. Seuss book. Um, it's a great time. It is like. Again, and also going back to Martha May Huvier, I'll never stop talking about her. One of her most iconic scenes, well, there's two of them. The very, very pseudo-sexual. The first one is when she's in that, like, luxurious, long, blue silk Mm -hmm. chiffon, silk gown. (laughs) And she literally comes, like, sliding down that sleigh. And, like, the dress goes up and she, like, that was in that. Christine Baranski's uh, contract. She's like, I have to do a sexy little slink down a, a staircase. Like While that. she screams. Yeah. Yes. So she she needed that. And it, it made me who I am today. There's that scene. And then there's also the scene, which is actually queer subtext for sure, is the scene between her and Molly Shannon when mm. they're doing their light decorating. And it's like competitive, so it's it's a little. I also think it's just like a commentary on like the suburbs and stuff. Oh, like, for sure. I mean, it is no. like a, a in capitalist. I love like capitalist Marxist film. Yeah, but it's Marxist. At the lens of like literally just the the gyrating and the movements of the machine and like the smoke and everything, and she's yeah. like blowing on it, and like Molly Shine is like basically like drooling over it, and like it's phallic it's very and it's very it's a very intimate scene between the two of them such a great scene there's so many great scenes in this movie i can go on and on um lastly before i finish this up i also did kind of slightly want to mention it's not in my top five i guess it would be considered an honorable mention but the remake in 2018 of the grinch oh i I hadn't seen that's one with benedict cumberbatch right Yes, I enjoyed it. It was cute. It was fun. I like how they revamped it and made it modern. And Cindy Lou, who has a single mom who raises her. My thing is that they turned the Grinch then into like a Tumblr sexy man, which is a symptom of the modern era. Did they? Oh, 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 you know the girls did. (laughs) Not the girls, but like the girls. Um, Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> they were like, ooh, Benedict Cumberbatch is voicing a slightly humanoid um, thing. We're gonna we're gonna make him sexy. And they did. Um, and I still haven't seen it. I wanted to mention that Rashida Jones is in it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said that <laughs> like that. Um, the set design of the original 2000 film is incredible. It's so and it, it reminds me a lot of the 5,000 fingers of Dr. T. Yes. No, I agree. And honestly, it deserved an 80% alone on Rotten Tomatoes just for the, for the set design. I'd say a 70. But yes. Um, another thing I wanted to say is that I've seen like two separate TikToks on this now. But it's something I never thought about before. And I don't know why. So, you know, Horton Here's a Who? About yes. the big old elephant. There's a tiny little speck of dust on the little thing thing. And that's like the whole yeah. little uh, flower. Yes. Um, so those are also who's. Are we to believe that like Whoville is like another tiny little speck world? Because that would mean that the Grinch is super tiny. Yeah. You know? Well, no, yeah, for sure. Because um, like in the Grinch, who... Who will is in a snowflake. That's true. That's what a bunch of people were saying. And it's just like, oh, oh my God. I think, yeah. And it was at the end of, was it at the end of Horton Here's a Who, the animated version, where, oh no, I'm thinking about Men in Black when at the end, <laughs> you know, where they zoom out. <laughs> Wait, it kind, of, it kind of has to do with it. They zoom out of like the earth and it's like an, a big alien, like holding it like a marble and they toss it into this, um this like thing of all these other marbles um to like symbolize that like our universe is just one of many universes that like this bigger force is behind and I was like that's a little intense for like a family blockbuster like that truly fucked me up at a young age um but I thought for some reason that was at the end of Horton Years <laughs> it's not it's at the end of Men in Black well, no, Horton Hears Her Who has a, an ending where it's, like, super existential like that, where yeah. it does zoom out of Horton's world, and I think they're on a spec, too, or yeah. something like that. So it's, like, a spec yeah. on a spec. That that definitely fucked me up as a kid. I was like, no, that means I'm probably on a tiny little spec on a spec on a spec, and that's scary. <sighs> anyway. So what is your number one? Do I guess? Um, Willie, I don't know if I'll know it. Hold on, hold on. Okay, think about what my islands would be. Think about I what know. I've already spoken about in this episode that I mention a lot. Think of just like a major tenet of my personality, then bring Christmas into it. And there's one, there's only one option. Oh, yes. Oh, for sure. This is, yeah, it's the Muppet Christmas Carol. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, of course, it's a Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, not only is this one of the greatest Christmas films of all time, it is the best adaptation of a Christmas Carol. And I firmly believe that. I don't, like, there's like the, the Mickey Mouse one, and that's like a brisk half hour, and they managed to pack the entire story in it. And like, I actually impressive. just watched that the other day. I watched it the other day as well. I was like, oh, this is great. Um, and I also love that, like, Scrooge McDuck was 
kind of invented for that special and then they just kept him as a character and just continued to call him Scrooge McDuck like that's just his name it just came from the special that they did um iconic very interesting and then he was like in DuckTales and stuff but um so what can I say about it other than you have Gonzo as Charles Dickens and it's just like a genius casting choice um Gonzo is like the perfect um like audience surrogate and I it's also important to mention that this is Brian Henson aka Jim's son's first directing role and he absolutely killed it um because it's this is the first like Muppet film without Jim's involvement because after Jim's passing yeah, yeah. died yeah um and it was dedicated to both Jim and Richard Hunt who was the voice of Scooter among other Muppets um who passed away in 1990 and 1992 respectively um and this was like marked by like all like you know the Muppet historians out there and Brian Henson who's within the company um that it was like a big turning point for them like losing the person who created them and uh Richard Hunt was like huge um and so it was kind of amazing that not only were they able to keep the magic alive but like they released one of their best films right after his passing um and that was of course no thanks to Disney who still doesn't know what to do with them they should let me into I don't know anything about business but I can take creative control of the Muppets I think I think we can both do it. I think there's enough people. I think just whoever they have in charge of them right now doesn't care. Or like the Disney as a whole doesn't care. They need to pay more attention. Um, a wonderful thing about this movie is Michael Caine, who plays his role so straight um, that it elevates the entire film. Um, and he he said to Brian Henson, uh, this is an, this is a direct quote from Michael Caine. He said, "I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I will never wink. I will never do anything muppety. I'm going to play Scrooge as if it is an utterly dramatic role, and there are no puppets around me." And Brian Henson was like, "Hell yeah!" And he does, and it's so. It's so good. Good. And like Michael Caine has said that like this is one of his most memorable roles. Like when he looks back on his decades long career, he's like, hmm, top three, whatever, whatever, Muppet Christmas Carol. I think if I were in a Muppets movie, I'd probably look back on it pretty fondly too. Cause like you're working with just all these wonderful professionals and you get to hang out with like Kermit and stuff. Like that's that's awesome. It's a dream. It's literally a dream come true. If I ever got to work with Kermit, I I don't know what I'd do. My life would be I would complete. would peak. Yeah. That, that would be no my peak. From there. Absolutely. Um it has comedy in all the right places and heart in all the right places. I wish Jim had been around to uh see it. Um this was also notably the first time Kermit was voiced by anyone other than Jim. So Mm-hmm. Steve Whitmire, who voiced Kermit for a very long time, uh, voiced him in this. And Whitmire was like really nervous about taking on this role. 
and he was like having a bunch of anxiety right before they were about to start um, like recording and shooting. And he had a dream during this time where like he met Jim Henson and like at his hotel and like they had like drinks and like Jim told him like everything's gonna be great, you're gonna be great, I believe in you. And he woke up the next day and he's like, okay, I can do it. And I was, I guess, I'm not gonna say I cried, but I was very no, that's amazing. Clumps about this. It's very serendipitous. I think that's that's wonderful. Um, the soundtrack slaps. I mean, the soundtrack in like most Muppet things slap um there's only like a few forgettable soundtracks i guess you could say um there's uh my favorite song from it is um it feels like christmas which is with the the ghost of christmas present and he takes scrooge around the town and he he shows him how everyone's like loving each other at christmas time and like wherever you find love it feels like Christmas. And that also ties in with my theme that I was saying with Love Actually, where it's just like, love is Christmas, Christmas is love. That's just, yeah. uh, I'm putting up heart hands right now. You guys can't see it because it's a podcast, but just know that I am. This um, is love. <laughs> this love, this love, this love. It's Christmas. Um, and a, a line <laughs> that me and my friends and my family quote all the time is, gonzo's like summing up the story at the end um because he dips out for a while once the, the christmas the ghost of christmas future comes because he's scared he's like all right we'll catch up with you guys later and he fully just disappears until the very end which i think is funny um just i like that transparency um but anyway the line is he goes ah oh, tiny tim tiny tim who did not die um and uh me and my friends and my and my sister, we we say it all the time. It's so good. It's the delivery is fantastic. I just I mean it's coming from Gonzo, of course it's the the delivery is fantastic. He's a, He's star. a star. Much like Rachel Ziegler, he is a star. Um I yeah, I love it. Period. Period. Um, did you have any other honorable mentions? Because I had like a long list that I was just gonna. Yeah, I'm, I have a list too. I'm just gonna read through really quick. So yeah. actually, my uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol was on my honorable mention list, of course. It should be on your top five, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm kidding. Oh. I'm kidding. Um, I also have The Lodge, which is another film we've talked about. Mm -hmm. um, I have Little Women, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have The Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. Is that we more of a Christmas movie to you or more of a Halloween movie? Um, I I would say it's more of a Halloween one, but like just slightly. Yeah, like, I feel like I it's, give it like it's slightly 60, more Halloween-y. Yeah, it's a 60-40. Yeah. Um, we have Home Alone 2 on here mm -hmm. because New York, baby. Lost in New York. He's not even New lost. York. They, I don't know, I know why they titled it that. It's yeah, just been like alone streets, in New York. The streets go up in numbers. But also, like he, at no point is he like, "Where am I?" He's like, "Oh, I'm in yeah, New York, like, and I'm going to like, oh, I'm at the Plaza Hotel." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, of course, I have the Santa Claus. 
Interesting. Because our man Bernard. Okay, yes. For Bernard, I will say I like it. It has... As I've gotten older, I've disliked it more. And I don't want to say it's because of Tim Allen, but it kind of is. No, I agree. It's lost its pizzazz as I've gotten older, too. It the also premise feels, is crazy. Yeah, it's a crazy premise. Oh, I talked about this the other day. I'm like, they literally murder Santa. He kills and like, Santa. <laughs> and it's just, you know, he's forgiven. Also, at the end, his son goes, like, I'm gonna, like, enter the family business implying that he's going to commit patricide like if you're gonna follow in your father's footsteps you're going to kill santa who is your father like you're gonna kill him you know that'd be an interesting sequel yeah (laughs) um (laughs) also when i was young that movie felt like not that it was like long or anything but you know like you don't have a, a sense of time when you're young with movies, but like as I got older, it's a sh- very short film too. Like I remember yeah, watching it's pretty a, short. a couple years ago, and I was like, oh wow, this happened really. Quick. I think the third um, act just drags. Also, The Grinch. Most of it is, is a very long movie. It's an hour and forty-five minutes. That's pretty long for a kid movie. Yeah. Um, and then my last honorable mention, it almost made my top five. It almost was going to be number five. Is P two. Is what? I don't know if you... P2. So it's kind of like an action suspense thriller film. Okay. I'll, I'll read you the synopsis. It's very much like... It's very similar. It's got red-eye vibes, but like not on a plane. Um, so it came out in 2007. And Wes Bentley is in it. He plays the antagonist. And... Angela is a corporate climber, gets stuck working late on Christmas Eve and finds herself the target of an unhinged security guard with no help in sight. The woman must overcome physical and psychological challenges to survive. So I also love it because again, it is kind of that horror-esque Christmas Mm. combination. It's fun because it all takes, so it's called P2 because it's a parking garage. Oh, okay. Because I was like, like, like pea soup. Yeah, like you're like, you're like RTD to what? I had no um, idea. No, yeah. So it takes place, like, a majority of the film takes place in a parking garage. So it has that, like, claustrophobic mm. feeling, too, which is cool. I, well, I, parking garages def- are, like, huge, but claustrophobic. And I think that's yes, why they're interesting. It's all enclosed. Um, it has a very low Rotten Tomato score of 35%. Um, and it probably has a low score. Yeah, it has a 2.9 on Letterbox. I gave it a three and a half. I think, again, is it the peak of cinema? No, but it is a very fun film. And I think everyone should take that into consideration when they're watching movies like that. Like, I don't think, I think a lot of critics went into this film, like, suspecting it to be horror. So, like, a lot of them critique it on its, like, horror element. They're like, yeah, it's a bit gory, but not scary. And I'm like, I don't think it was supposed to be scary. I think it was supposed to be, like, kind of suspenseful action fun mm. but it it's it's one of those movies everyone should just try it once get a little get a little taste oh. <laughs> what are your honorable mentions okay so i have little women the 2019 version as well it's it is a christmas movie um now these aren't christmas movies but the star wars movies uh i watch a lot at star at, at christmas time 
Um, I feel like they're very synonymous with Christmas time for me because um, for like five years in a row, we got like a new Star Wars movie every single December. So they just remind me of Christmas. Um, Then we have Carol from 2015, which is a Christmas movie. Um, Edward Scissorhands from 1990. Mm -hmm. Um, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, John Denver and the Muppets, A Christmas Together from 1979. I have the vinyl. It's just so, it's just so nice. Um, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas from 1999. So good. A classic. The, the newer, the Twice Upon a Christmas is just not as good. It's kind of pretty I don't think I've ever saw that one. The animation is just bad. Um, yeah. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation from 1989, even though, uh, Chevy Chase can suck my dick. Um, I still love that movie. <laughs> Um, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone from 2001 has a whole Christmas part. Um, it's also another Christopher Columbus, Willie, uh, John Williams joint, important to mention. Um, Barbie and the Nutcracker, which I watched today. Um, holds up, holds up, absolutely. It's, it's like, it's an oddly quiet movie. Like there's just a lot of silence in it. And I'm like, it's animated. You can just cut the frames where they're like, I don't, I don't know. Um, and then I have uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town from 1970, another Rankin Bass. Um, and those that's my my honorable mentions. I also have a list on Letterboxd if anyone wants to check it out. I'm going to link it in this episode um, of my top Christmas films because I have a, a nice little list. A lot to say about Christmas. Yeah, I like Christmas. As you should, I do too. I, like I said in the beginning, I just don't, it's weird. I just, I love Christmas. I love the season. I love everything about it. I'm just not as big on Christmas films as I thought I was. And that's okay because okay. there's, it gives me room for other genres to explore. So I, I that like, that suffices for me. Yeah. Um, so we here at Readers of the Lost Arts just want to wish everybody a happy, healthy, safe, uh, Christmas and holiday season you know mm-hmm. we live in a, a crazy world but you can always depend on the joy and love and giving aspects of the season um, I'm grateful for the year that we've had we're gonna have another episode before the end of the year by the way but yeah. I just figured I'd say the sentimentals off now but you know uh, Christmas is a time for love so go on with love in your heart this Christmas season. I know I will. I will. I, I so will. I, um, you know, I think this episode definitely made me a, a bit happier. Definitely a serotonin boost. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also a great reminder of just, you know, being thankful for um, your friends and family. And when I say family, that could be your chosen family as well. So whatever... Mm-hmm makes you feel loved and important and safe and at home. So whatever you do this holiday season, whoever you're with, just, you know, to continue focusing on the positives rather than the negatives and uh, cherish those moments you have with these people. Because um, if I learned anything from this year is cherishing moments with people because I didn't expect to leave New York 
I mean, it's something I've always dreamed of, but never thought it would actually happen so soon. And, you know, I don't get to see like Kay and all my other friends like every other day, like I used to. So I took those, I took those moments for granted and I regret that. So I won't be taking those things for granted because I've learned from my friend Craig not to. Um, thank you all for joining us. I hope you yes. enjoyed. I hope this, you know, reminded you of your own favorite Christmas movies or, you know, of course, you're always welcome to make your own list and share them with us. No yes. one ever has really, but <laughs> it's still I, a possibility. Maybe, yeah, maybe one day. I hope this inspires people to go home and watch a Christmas movie and enjoy some hot cocoa, do some holiday things, make some gingerbread houses, have a snowball fight. Um, yeah. Yeah. Burn, um, some, burn some Christmas candles. Yes. Um, so with all that being said, I have been Kay. And I've been Craig. And go watch a go goddamn watch a goddamn Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. Yeah. That was that was actually Goodbye, pretty Bruce. on we pretty Anyways. almost said that at the same time. It's pretty good. Yeah, not gonna lie. Anyway, bye everybody. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Uh, for all those out there who don't know, Dave is the hardest Princess Switch stand out there. Is he a sneaker night um, stand? <sighs> like question, by Vanessa Dave. Hudgens? <laughs> Are you a sneaker night fan that song by Vanessa Hudgens? I don't think he, yeah, he doesn't know what that is. He's a little... Oh, okay, fake. It's a little, pa- a little past his time, if I'm going to word it correctly. It really isn't, though. Like... It was. Babes, it was. It was. It was past his time. Look it up, girl. Look it up, girl. You will <laughs> see that it's right in your time. No, he was probably graduating high school. No. When Sneaker Night drops. <laughs> no, I have to look what? up when it came. <laughs> no, we're talking about Sneaker Night with present. That dropped, I want to say 2008. Um, yeah, it came out in 2008. What is that when you were graduating high school i'm trying to figure this out in 2008 i was 12. yeah he was 18. (gasps) bye